0: How do we master the game of raising capital for real estate investments with mindset? Well, in this episode, we're going to dive deep with John Kasman, who is a phenomenal marketer, phenomenal capital raiser. And we're going to walk through the six C's, the six steps, pieces that go into every capital raise that's going to set you up for success. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Let's get to it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Steven Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm excited as I always am, because today I have John Kasman in the
1: studio. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing excellent, Steven. Thank you for having me on today.
0: That is what I like to hear, and he is a podcast veteran, over 100 episodes, and founder of the Kasman Capital Group, who's helped families invest over $90 million in multifamily apartments to create generational wealth and impact, and he hosts the Target Market Insights podcast and is the co-founder of the Midwest Real Estate Network Networking Summit. You know, he's worked in corporate America, Fortune 500 companies, including General Motors and Miller Coors. He's been doing some amazing things on the multifamily and marketing side, and we're going to really dive deep in this episode into something very specific, capital raising, and it's going to apply to all of you investors out there, but especially folks in the multifamily space, as we know, it requires a lot of capital to buy big apartments. So if you're ready to jump in, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do it. If we start out by taking a look back earlier in your life, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who
1: you are today? Well, I'll say growing up, you know, money was always a bit scarce. We were kind of lower economic, right? You know, it was always a challenge getting money for things that may be basic for for most people. So a field trip, for instance, you know, might cost 10 bucks to get a field trip, but I always felt pressure because I knew my mom didn't have it. So I think just those kind of things in regards to money kind of shaped the way I viewed money, mostly in a sense of I didn't want to continue to have those experiences and those feelings with money as I grew up. So it was really important for me to find ways to make money to break kind of a cycle and kind of create a new lifestyle. Ultimately, we talk about you know changing lives and creating legacies, and this was really what this was uh, about for me. So as I kind of found ways to do that, you know, I started reading more and more. I decided I wanted to go to college. First person in my family, go to college, graduate college, and. Kind of my senior in school, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So, like a lot of your listeners, you know, that book really opened up my eyes to understanding the way money worked. And it wasn't just about going to college, getting a great job, and, you know, paying bills and living off of, you know, the difference. It was really about how do you create you know, passive income, whether that is through assets that you own or businesses that you own. So that was something that always stuck with me. And I also was a young like hustler slash entrepreneur as a kid, you know, I worked a bunch of odd end jobs, everything from selling video games to candy, to t-shirts and gloves. Did you not, I used to sell latex gloves to beauty salons where we really would drive around the city going to beauty salons as a little 10 year old kid. And I'd pop in and, you know, sell these gloves. So that kind of stuck with me as well, just the sense that you know a lot of times if you can put the right product, the right service, with the right audience at the right time, there could be great value there. So those things kind of shaped me. Ultimately, what really had the biggest impact though was early in my career. I was a young executive, as you mentioned, working at General Motors from 2007. Ultimately, if anyone remembers, you know what it was like going into the recession. Well, I was at the company in the city that was really the epicenter for that collapse, you know, in the, in the financial mm-hmm. industry, but primarily in the automotive industry. And I was working at Journal Motors, and I remember the moment when they made the decision that we were gonna have to lay a lot of people off and we were going to go into bankruptcy. And what happened for me was I went into work. I was told not to worry that my job was safe, but nonetheless, I still had concerns because things change all the time. And I went into work, and the guy who sat in front of me, directly in front of me, He had been let go earlier that morning the person who sat to my left had been let go earlier that morning and i had a red blinking light on my voicemail and i was scared to check that voicemail because i didn't know if it was going to be hey john we need to see you in hr or what exactly that message was ultimately after about 30 seconds of staring at it i picked up the phone i i hit the button and it was a voicemail from the guy in front of me and he talked about how after 22 years working for the company he had been let go and he was a diabetic, he didn't know how he was gonna pay for his insulin, and he was completely distraught. And as I listened to that message as a young executive, two things happened to me. The first was empathy. I felt bad for someone who had dedicated their career to this company and now didn't have a plan or didn't know what they were going to do, and I empathized with that situation. The second thing, though, was I never wanted to be in that position. And no matter what the company, no matter what the industry, no matter how great I may have been, I knew that it wouldn't be enough for me to fully secure kind of my future and that I needed to find a way to create my own sources of income and not rely on corporate America or corporate job. And that's kind of what I focused on going forward.
0: I mean, that's absolutely incredible because you grew up with a lot of adversity. And it's, it's interesting because when people grow up with adversity, they, they end up going down one or two paths. They either make that the excuse of why they are never going to go and do great things, or they make that the reason why they have to go and do great things. And for you, it sounds like, you know, I have a, I have a similar story of not growing up with a lot. I don't know, for me, and I, I'm sure it's similar, is there's that feeling of like, I never want to feel that way again. I never want to have that feeling of having to fear going and asking for something for my mom or my dad or, you know, all the stress and fighting that goes with it. And I can imagine that as you're sitting at General Motors and you're seeing this happen in 2007, 2008, that you're probably having a flashback to that feeling of seeing other people going through that when they went the secure route and so you know based on that you know going through that feeling I mean what changed? what'd you do next
1: yeah so I mean keep in mind too this is you know in 2001 when that the dot-com boom happened as well as 9-11 I was still in college so I wasn't really in the professional world I didn't know about a recession or any of that kind of stuff I wasn't paying attention but I do know that my mom struggled to find a job at that time and my father went on strike at his company. He worked a blue collar job at a factory and he was on strike. So I do remember seeing hardships, but again, I was out of the house at that time. So to your point, you fast forward to 2008, when that went down, for me, it was a combination of, luckily I was secure, my job was safe. I was, you know, I didn't miss a check or anything like that. So I was fine, but I did realize that, hey, you need to start figuring something else out. So my first thought was, hey, I read the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, real estate would be a great avenue to get into except I was living in Detroit at the time where the real estate prices just kept dropping like a rocket going backwards, right? So I didn't feel comfortable investing in Detroit at that time. In hindsight, you know, if I would have waited another year, 2010, it would have been a great time to invest. But nonetheless, you know, at that time, I didn't want to invest there. I started looking to Chicago, really wanted to move to Chicago. So ultimately, I left in 2011, moved to Chicago, worked at an advertising company and started investing on the side. So I bought a two unit building, I lived in one unit, rented out the other. Many people may know this as a house hack. I did not know that term at the time, but we did a house hack in 2011 and that went really well for us. We created a lot of equity in that first property and we continue to save our money. We bought a three unit building shortly after that. And we actually created enough equity in that first property to create a six figure line of credit that I used to buy an eight unit building. So that kind of got the ball rolling from a multifamily standpoint while I was still working in advertising and working with big brands and doing large promotions and activations and integrations. You know, I was building my real estate portfolio on the side and ultimately what what happened to me was we were running out of our own money. You know, I was finding these deals, we're investing, I was saving every dollar and I really wasn't, I was making progress, but not the progress that we were hoping to make, you know, over the course of you know, five or six years, um, you know, we had certainly more passive income, but it was nothing to protect me from losing my job. You know, it was like $1,000 a month. Um, it wasn't really that much to walk away from a job or feel completely insulated from the effects of, mm-hmm. um, you know, outside, outside sources. So part of it for me was we had to continue to find ways to grow, but it couldn't rely on how much money we could save. That really opened up my mind to working with other investors, and potentially starting to raise some capital for deals.
0: I mean that that's it's such a cool story because you slowly built momentum, and then you had this kind of epiphany of realizing that, well, if I want to be able to grow this the way that I believe that I can, in order to be able to leave the job and have some true security, then I might need to work with some other people. And you know, bringing that marketing skill set and that background that you already have, I'm sure, was a really great segue into you jumping in to, you know, the multifamily, the syndication and the capital raising space. And so what I'd love to talk about here is talk to me, let's really dive deep into this thing about capital raising, right? It's, it's one of those fears that a lot of investors have this fear of, well, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough capital. And, you know, if you know my story, I started with almost no money. I, I put almost everything that I had on credit cards like up to thirty thousand dollars to get started in wholesaling. Hustled my way up, you know. Started flipping some houses. Started making some money. And nearly every dollar that I made was based on borrowing money or uh, by raising capital in some kind of way, shape, or form. So I know firsthand how important this is. But it's so easy still to fall into that trap of thinking to yourself. Well, I don't know if someone's going to want to invest in this deal with me, or having some limiting beliefs about it. So I'd love to hear from you. Like, what is the process in your eyes if somebody wants to get started raising capital, and what goes into you know uh, a great uh, a great process for raising capital?
1: Well, I mean, I think you nailed it. Right the, before you could go into the actual process of raising money for a deal, you really have to understand your mentality and your goals. What are you trying to accomplish? Um, you know what are you what are your limiting beliefs that you have I will tell you most people who have concerns those concerns fall into one of three buckets either one they're concerned that they don't have the network to raise money and people won't want to invest with them or two they just are concerned that they don't want to really ask their friends and family for money. They don't wanna beg or, or feel like they're putting people in a tough position, or they're concerned that those relationships may go sour if something bad happens. So they don't really wanna ask friends or family. Or the third thing is, you know, they don't have the education, the knowledge or the experience themselves to feel comfortable in knowing what they're doing. So one of those three reasons is usually why someone is apprehensive to being out there and raising money for deals the first thing I would say is um, depending on where you fall with those three objections you have to ask yourself what value are can you provide for other people you know it's one thing when you look at it from your own perspective and what you get out of it because it's easier to say okay hey I need half a million dollars to do this deal okay who can get me half a million dollars that mindset's gonna take you down one path where it can feel like you have walls against you and it's hard to overcome those obstacles versus hey We have cash flowing assets that have phenomenal tax benefits that can help diversify assets. Um, Who can we go talk to who would have interest in a product like this or investing in something like this? If you're focusing on serving other people versus what you get out of it, then it makes it much easier to go in and just present an opportunity. And I think that's really a a big shift. And a lot of people starting out, it's tough for them to understand that. And it seems nuanced, but it's really important. Because if you're focused on what you get, then you're not going to say the right things. You're not going to think about it the right way. It's going to be very difficult. And you're just going to see all the objections and the hard work that you're going to have to do. If you focus on serving other people, and creating a product or a service that helps other people get what they want, get what they need, get what they're looking for, reach their goals, reach their objectives then it's going to be much easier to understand what those solutions are. So as you're talking to people, either it fits what they're trying to do or it doesn't. And you can come up with solutions for those individuals. So the mindset is really important when it comes to this.
0: It's so critical. You've got to get in the right mind space to be able to go out and and do anything. But especially when you're talking about bringing other people into, into the wheelhouse into what it is that you're doing, and what a big shift that is to go from, hey, well, what am I getting to how is this actually really great for other people? And we hear that a lot, but sometimes we hear it and we think it, but then when we actually go to raise the capital, we go back to what we're thinking about. We need to stay in that mindset of why is this valuable to the other person and not take it personally if they don't see that value and just move on to the next person or work on our, uh, on our delivery to be able to, you know, show, hey, if you're this kind of person, this is probably be a good fit. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that delivery and kind of what goes into actually
1: going and doing the raise once you got your mindset in the right place absolutely so there there are six things you know i like to call them the six c's of raising capital okay there are six c's that you really need and anyone who's raising money right now and having success they're following these six c's i'm going to say what they are and then we're going to hit on the specific elements of each one okay the first one is confidence the second one is credibility third one is connections Fourth is channel, the fifth is communications, and the last one is consistency. So the first one, confidence. That comes from what you're just saying, right? It's how you speak, how you convey your message. You know, think about, um, I'm gonna say a salesman, but don't take this the wrong way, but anyone who's selling anything, a good salesman, they're not trying to sell you. They're educating you. They're sharing the knowledge. They're answering questions. They're you know, letting you know which product works and they're trying to understand your needs so you, they can help you find the best solution for what you're trying to do, right? And that's really what the confidence is. But if you don't know those solutions, if you're not educated yourself, if you don't have the experience yourself, it's gonna be hard to do that. So the first thing you have to do is focus on your own knowledge and your own confidence and building up that confidence. Now, sometimes you can be in an industry forever and still not be confident so those are things you need to work on yourself so part of that self-confidence part of that is your knowledge and your expertise another way you help yourself with that confidence is by building on your credibility so if you're new if you've never raised money for a deal or you know you're where where I was starting out you did a few deals but not enough to to feel like you know you could go out and raise a million dollars or you know you really have mastered the art of investing or multifamily you know what other ways can you build that credibility Well, one thing you can do is leverage a team's credibility. So your property manager, build that team around you, get a mentor or a coach or somebody who can help consult you and be in your corner. Um, You know, build a team overall that you can lean on. So even though you don't have all the knowledge, you have a team around you that can help you navigate and look at any kind of deal. That's going to build your credibility as you're talking to people. It's also going to make you more confident because... Worst case scenario, you know, if your property manager, your lender, and everyone else looks at this deal, your partner is your mentor, and they all say it's a great deal. Even if you still aren't 100% sure, it probably means it's a pretty good deal if everyone else on your team thinks it's a good deal, right? So that confidence and credibility kind of go together. I will say that if you're confident, but not credible at all, you're probably just cocky. And that's a really bad sign okay so the next thing is connections you have to have the network to be able to raise money now you may not have that network today and i'm going to disagree with what many people i know many of the you know the real estate professionals gurus educators they will tell you to start with family and friends and i'm going to disagree to an extent because your family and friends are not your ideal investor some of them may be but generally speaking your family and friends are not your ideal investor. So what that means is your cousin, your best friend you went to school with, they love you, but they may not be the person who is ready to invest $100,000 if the right deal comes across their table. They may invest with you because they know, like, and trust you, but they're not generally out there looking at investment opportunities now there may be some people in your circle who absolutely are so when i say this part of the reason i want to make make this clear is it's not about going out and asking all your friends and family to invest with you the real key and i'm going to give you a big secret right here the real key is to use those individuals to help you identify people in their networks that actually fit that criteria that's a powerful way to build your connections and to identify those investors that may be looking for investment opportunities right now now the next thing you have is your channel how are you communicating with people are you on social media are you doing email marketing are you doing you know um, you know. Uh, I highly doubt anyone's doing TV or radio, but what kind of platforms and channels are you using to get your message out there? So that's kind so, of the fourth one. Yeah.
0: So that that's huge. I mean, right guys, I hope that you can see that there's a set process here that you can follow by getting these ideas right in your head first before you head out the door, right? If you can get your confidence and credibility in line, they both play together. And then when you start understanding that that is gonna lead you to being able to build A great network through those connections and then obviously how are you going to be able to communicate to those people well what channel are you going to be able to use these all build upon each other and it's fairly simple that doesn't mean that it's easy to do but that means that it's something that you can definitely go out and do yourself
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. This is uh, fairly, and I'm giving it high level. Obviously there's a lot more involved, but just, so you can wrap your head around what that process is. You know, once you have a channel and that channel doesn't have to be complex. The channel may be you know, phone calls and, and, and text messages, right? It doesn't have to be a big media platform, but you have to figure out how are you going to communicate with individuals. The next piece is the communication itself. What's the message? So, what are you going to say to them? You know, understanding the information that they need and being able to answer questions that they may have, and how do you educate them to get them comfortable? It's much easier to educate somebody and then talk to them about an investment opportunity versus trying to talk to them about an investment opportunity where they don't know anything about multifamily or real estate investing. And then the last piece is consistency. And this is key, especially if you don't have a super long track record. Because if you have a 10, 15 year track record, your consistency is in doing it 10 to 15 years. So if you haven't been doing it that long, you have to have other areas to demonstrate your commitment level. You know, whether that is, you know, a podcast, you're on over a hundred episodes, right? I'm on, I'm uh, getting close to 200 episodes of my podcast. And it's not just the number of podcast episodes, but you can go back and look and see when were they published? Had they done this consistently each week over the last year? Um, You know, if you're writing a blog, if you're sending out emails, whatever the case may be, People want to know that you are seriously committed to what you're presenting. And if you do something over a period of time, that longevity and that consistency is just gonna make it easier for you to, you know, drive those connections, connect with people and build your own credibility and confidence as well. So they all kind of work together in some ways, but I think those six elements, the confidence, credibility, connections, the channel, the communications and consistency, those six elements are really key to raising big capital
0: yeah that that's that's incredible because what it does is it shows us that just about anybody can go out and do this stuff right so if you're listening right now and you happen to be one of those people who falls into the category of having one of those limiting beliefs that says "Ah, i don't know if i can do this i don't know if people are gonna want to you know participate in these real estate deals with me well now you have somewhere that you can specifically look you can go and focus on these six c's and improve in those and so i want to kind of dive in for a second here Uh, with the time that we have left to talk a little bit about what some of that messaging is and what are some of the channels that you use yourself because I imagine as you're you've shifted when you first got started you know you probably were using one set of messaging and now that you've been doing it for a while you know you're probably using a different set and so I'd love to hear what's the difference between you know when you just were getting started and what you'd recommend versus somebody who's been doing this for a while and has been consistent in their channels
1: Well, I think one of the biggest things too, starting out is that you're still very nervous about your own credibility and capabilities. And that's just true. It's it's human nature and that's just a natural thing. But the reality is is that most people care about themselves. They they, want to know about you for sure, but they really care about themselves more. So as you're talking to people, the message should really be about, how what you're doing can serve and benefit them and i would say starting out you know that was kind of a a dance to figure out okay how much do i spend you know demonstrating my credibility improving my value and my worth versus truly just educating them on how they benefit you know and again especially when you're talking to people that you have a close relationship with it's easier just to focus on Them, You certainly need to talk about your credibility and highlight that. And if you don't have experience doing um, multifamily, for instance, like, you know, I had a small multifamily, multifamily portfolio, but I did have a strong business, you know, success. And most of the people knew me from the business success, the marketing success, the different accolades that I achieved from that perspective. So I leaned on that more. And I would say the same thing. When you talk about that credibility, you want to lean on whatever credibility you actually have as long as it's transferable and then supplement whatever weaknesses or gaps you may have with other folks on the team. So your message really should be focused on what they want more than anything else, what the benefits are. Highlight your skill set, highlight your team that you're doing and then pivot. And I would say, I think starting out, we probably leaned a little more heavily on what we were doing And what would be a much better thing to do for, for your listeners is focus on the value that you can provide for your audience. And then just, you know, you have your lines and have your messages and your proof points that justify why you're the right person to, to help them do that.
0: Mm. Well, that's some really powerful stuff. And how do we go about educating people on this stuff and, and what kind of information should we be sharing with folks to educate them on some of the benefits of what it is that we're really offering?
1: Well, I mean, there are a lot of different ways to do it, right? There are different platforms all out there. What I would tell you is, you know, just to, to make sure people understand, there's podcasting, like we're doing right now. There's blogging, which is a big platform. A lot of people love social media and posting on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, and YouTube videos and things like that. Um, and email marketing is huge. I really love email marketing. So those are different ways to Convey your message. Webinars are starting to become more and more popular as well. So, creating these webinars, um, so those things are becoming more and more popular. And Those are big ways of doing it. The key though is you have to build an. And audience. So
0: those are the those are the channels. Those are the channels. Build the audience on.
1: That's right. Those are the channels that you want to build your audience and communicate your message. Once you kind of have that, um, as far as the things that you want to say to those audience, you need to understand what they need to learn. And this really comes down to who your, I call them an avatar, but who your investor target is or your investor avatar. You know, are they current investors? Are they current real estate professionals? Are they doctors? Are they engineers? Um, What exactly do they do? What knowledge do they have? What are the gaps? What's going to prevent them from making a decision? So you have to really understand where they're at because you don't want to stay so high level that you're not really adding value to them. Uh, If I just talk about, you know, how to determine what an NOI is a net operating income, um, that may not be enough for someone who is really, you know, they've already invested in a syndication, right? So maybe they're trying to understand how I look at deals and how, you know, how much money in reserves I put or my perspective on, you know, bridge loans versus agency debt. So, you know, it kind of depends on your audience. And for someone new, they're like, what's a bridge loan? You know, so you have to understand where your audience is and kind of pull them down the funnel. And I would say a great thing to do is, you create different tiers of messaging based on that. Someone really brand new, someone who you know is really learning about multifamily for the first time, you can start educating them about the high level ins and outs of multifamily. And then as they get more and more comfortable, you can start to transition them into the more advanced um, terminology or, or theories or strategies, things like that. The point though, the biggest thing with all the messaging is to educate and inform but then also to position yourself as the subject matter expert. If you do those two things, you'll be successful. You just want to make sure you're not going over people's heads or not providing real value to them if you're not educating and informing them. So sometimes when you write, you may want to write to the point where it's kind of tiered, even in one message, where maybe the top piece of the message is very introductory. So that person who doesn't know a lot of like go back to NOI, you know, um, you know that could be you know, NOI for those listening are, it's all of the income minus all of the expenses is the net operating income, okay? So that right there might be a piece that we write if we were to do a blog or or a podcast or something like that, we might talk about NOI. But then for a more sophisticated investor, someone who's more seasoned, we may talk about ways to optimize NOI and get into some of the advanced mm-hmm. strategies we use to optimize NOI all in one piece of content. So for that new investor, who doesn't even know what NOI is, I can educate them, but they can still follow the rest of it. And we would break down the strategies in ways that they would understand how we're looking at our strategies to optimize the net operating income, which ultimately ultimately means uh, more money for our investors, right? So you can can tier it depending on how you wanna write it, Um, but I would say you definitely wanna keep thinking about the user, your audience, and where they're at on their scale of knowledge.
0: Yeah, that's such, such a good reminder. And to talk, talk to me a little bit about how do you actually come up with this, the, the right avatar, the right person to go after when you're talking about raising capital. Because you know I, what I hear from a lot of folks is, well, uh, my network is X type of people, or I, I know a few people who are in this type of business, or I know real estate investors, and therefore, that's the only people I'm thinking about raising capital from but there's probably a best practice on coming up with who's the right avatar, even if they're not the people you're serving right now. And how would you go about that from a marketing perspective?
1: Yeah, so I mean, this is something we deal with in marketing for years. You know, uh, For all of my clients, we always have basically um, two, two customer profiles. We have who our ideal target market is, that's who we're marketing to, and then we actually have our buyers or who is actually purchasing product. I'll use my time in beer as a great example. So when I worked on beer, um, typically you're going after a younger drinker. Younger being a legal age drinking, but say 21 to 35 years old, especially 21 to 27, right? That person who's still figuring out which brand of preference they're going to have. Are they a Miller Lite drinker? Are they a Budweiser drinker? Are they, you know, a craft beer drinker? We're trying to figure out who that individual is, right? So that would be our targeting avatar. So let's say a 25 year old graduated from college a couple of years ago, maybe has a roommate, loves sports, you know, working in their career. So mindset wise, that's our target. So we're creating our communications with that person in mind. Okay. So when I sit down and I write a piece of creative or I'm writing an article or anything like that, I'm writing with that person in mind. Now, if you actually look at who the buyer is, the buyer is like a 45 year old, you know, guy in the middle of, you know, Iowa or something like that. Not the cool, hip, young, you know, drinker in the middle of New York or Chicago. That we have in our avatar, it's actually just like 45 year old guy just likes to drink a six pack on the weekend while he's sitting on his couch, right? Way less intriguing from a marketing standpoint, but that's actually who is buying. So we're always trying to find ways to, you know, attract that younger person. So you take that overall marketing philosophy and you kind of bring it down because ultimately you don't, who your investor is, is going to depend on who they just decide to invest, right? You can write whatever you want to write as far as your avatar. Uh, if you say, hey, I want, um, 35-year-old doctors, great, but you're not going to turn away a 55-year-old engineer, right? I mean, it's, it's not how it works. So with that said, the reason it's important, even though you may not get that person, is you still need a bullseye to start creating. And then you also may change where you send your messages to. In the same way for us from a targeting standpoint, if I'm going after that 21 to 27 year old in major urban markets, then I'm going to advertise in places where I believe that individual is at, the mediums that they use, whether it be college sports or um, nightclubs or bars or whatever, right? So I'm gonna build my marketing plan based on reaching that audience. And you're gonna do the same thing. So in this case, I would say, Let's, let's take what we're talking about with the mediums, right? Um, let's say you want passive investors and your passive investors are um, 45, let's just say 45 plus um, highly skilled accredited professionals, uh, meaning that they make over $200,000 a year. So we're talking engineers, doctors, accountants, lawyers, those kind of individuals, right? Well, you may say, all right, where can I find these people? People are asking me right now about TikTok Well, are these people on TikTok? Probably not right now. You know, I know TikTok's hot and it's the new, cool, young thing. But if you're trying to go after 45 plus year old professional employees, are they on TikTok? No. Are they on Facebook? Are they on LinkedIn? Are they on Twitter? Are they on Instagram? And if so, what's their mindset on each platform? and how do you engage with them appropriately on those platforms, right? So you have to go through all these different things so you can understand how to connect with them. I mean, right now, most of us are at home, you know, on lockdown with kids. I don't know if you can hear my kids running around upstairs, but you know, so do they have kids? If they do, can you relate to them as a a parent, right? Understanding what they're going through as a parent, a busy professional with parent with kids, you're thinking about you know, getting them to college, you're thinking about you know, all the different things you have to do. So really understanding that avatar really helps you drive a connection with that consumer, uh, whether it be an investor or any product, quite frankly. But just understanding who they are, it's a vital piece. So it may not be who you actually get, but I think you need to have a, a, a target profile persona that makes it easier for you to identify who is the right person who's ideal for you
0: this has been beautiful this has been amazing being able to see and understand like how can we actually come up and craft with intention who it is that we're trying to serve and what the message is that we're going to use to attract them and how we're actually going to provide benefit to them it's it's so incredible it makes it seem so simple to go out and raise capital which is amazing because really if we could just take the right steps and obviously we couldn't get into all of them right here but getting that overarching view into what that might look like really helps us lay the foundation for us to go out and find out well what are those individual steps so in in closing on this subject particularly just on the capital raising is there anything you want to share with the audience um before we move on to the next section of uh, of our time together
1: Yeah, I I would say two things. So one, you know, um, developing a marketing strategy, it's, it's paramount, you know, um, you can absolutely just go through the steps. And I've worked with, you know, mentors, myself, and different people. And even still, sometimes there was gaps between building kind of a a true marketing strategy that's efficient and allows you to optimize. So if anyone is interested in learning more about how to do this, how to work with investors, or how to start, I call it attracting capital for real estate, not raising capital. We attract capital for real estate. If anyone's interested in that, I'm happy to do a quick 15 minute consultation to talk to you about your marketing strategy. And um, you know, I'm happy to share some thoughts and give a little bit more of the context of things that we do to help some of our clients, some of our students um, in building up kind of their marketing and communications, but I'm happy to take 15 minutes and I'll send you the link for that where they can schedule that time with me as well.
0: That's amazing. Do you see what he just did there, guys? He just placed his marketing message, his call to action after teaching us about all this information. And so that's the same kind of thing we can do ourselves with our different avatars that we're going after when we're looking at attracting capital, as you said. So, you know, moving on, talk to me a little bit about how you define success and what is success to you?
1: Yeah, you know, success is freedom and independence. You know, the ability to make your own decisions, the ability to be where you want to be, when you want to be there, and who you want to be there with. Um, You know, right now, a lot of people are very frustrated being stuck at home. And I got to tell you, um, I've had to shift my day around. But other than that, you know, we love. Our, we love our home I and mean, we lived in a city for eight years and this is the first time for me living in a real house So I'm, I'm still a little ecstatic about that and we've got plenty of space to stretch out and be in different rooms and be all together and do family nights I mean we watched a movie last night together. So um, I think that's that's it man it's really about just the simple things for me about being able to m- Do the things we want to do when we want to do them who we want to do them with I think that is really success. That's amazing.
0: And talk to me about what are some of your keystone habits—the things you do on a daily or weekly basis that help lead to some of that success.
1: Yeah. So I uh, was not a big journal guy, um, but after talking to so many people who just rave about the power of journaling, um, and I I would sit down and journal, but I don't know what's right. You know, it was it was weird for me. But um, I finally picked up a planner. And from that planner, that has allowed me to really get into journaling a little bit more because it's it's more structured and really just looking at my day, my week, my month, my quarter, my year, and being able to break it down where, you know, I have weekly goals. And it's like really simple, like either you did it or you didn't do it. So that's really helped me, um, you know, waking up earlier has been very beneficial. I mentioned earlier, my two kids, if anyone's out there with kids and you're busy and you feel like you just don't have a lot of time to do the things you really want to do or to push yourself forward, you know, if you can wake up 30 minutes earlier, an hour earlier, I know it may sound like a lot, but if you really think about your day, um, you can probably find time to, you know, wake up before everyone else. And for me, that's the key. It's not just about oh, I'm not gonna watch TV or I'm not gonna do this. It's, I have to be up by myself. So I have that time for an hour, at least each day. It allows me to be productive. It allows me to think to maybe get a workout in, Um, but it allows me to prioritize my day, knock out something, have a big win before anyone else in the family wakes up. So for me, the big thing is waking up at least an hour earlier than the rest of my family. Usually it's about two hours earlier, but at least one hour.
0: That's such a good reminder for all of us to get up a little earlier and take some time to do the things we know are important. So we've made it to the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. Tell me what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now.
1: Uh, I just read Relentless by Tim S. Grover and um, really... Great book. I've been reading a lot of different books, but Tim S. Grover's book has been really good. It just gets into the mindset. There's three uh, three types of people that he calls out: a cooler, um, a closer, and uh, a cleaner. And the the cleaner is kind of that you know Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant type mentality where they really don't care what you think about them. They just get it done. And it was just really interesting because uh, you know it, it gets into what it takes to be truly great from a mindset perspective and it really is, it goes counter to most of the things all of us learn about business and relationships and all those things. And it just really talks about the importance of setting your goals and doing whatever it takes to accomplish those goals, even if it means rubbing people the wrong way. Not crossing people, not being dirty or anything like that, but just, you know, a relentless pursuit of greatness, which I thought was just really interesting. And um, it's good to remind ourselves that sometimes we just have to plow through and do whatever we have to take to drive success.
0: Amen, what a great reminder. And so inspiration, what impacts have mentors made in your life and how do you look at going out and finding great mentors?
1: Listen, I'm a huge believer in mentorship. You know, I was fairly successful in my own corporate career and I hired a mentor in real estate primarily because I was concerned that I might mess up somebody else's money, you know. um, I felt like I knew what I was doing. I was probably 85, 90% confident, but that last 10 to 15%, you know, for me, once we start to to expand and work with other people, I just thought it was critical and I owed it to myself and I owed it to all of my potential investors to do everything in my power to create in, in, an era of success where, you know, we could, have everything we needed to to move forward um so mentorship is huge you know my mentor has been very helpful for us to to grow over the years we've mentored a lot of different people as well and it's been amazing watching them grow and blossom and you know attract capital for their deals and grow on to build their portfolios and mentorship is just a key element of moving yourself forward and i would say this is the one area where if i could go back i probably would double or triple down my investment in mentorship Mm -hmm. just because People can help you identify challenges or opportunities that maybe you don't see. There are things that we all have. We have all we all have unique talents. We all have unique abilities, our own unique story. And if we can find ways to tell our stories and to convey our message with people and to double down and push those things, we can have success much sooner. But you know, if you want to do it all by yourself and bootstrap it, You can, it's just gonna be a longer road. And ultimately you have to look at everything as an investment. So it's not about what it costs, it's about the investment and the return on the investment. So if you're looking at a mentorship or a mastermind or any type of thing to continue to push yourself forward, think about it as an investment. What am I going to have to put into this, both financially and other resources, my time? What other commitments am I going to have to make here and sacrifices? And what am I going to get out of it? What am I going to get back? And if you love the returns that you're going to get and that outweighs the investment, then you should look to move forward with that. Such a good reminder
0: for all of us. You know, It's it's in times like this that it's even more important to have mentorship to be able to fight through any battle and make it through any storm. And so finally finishing on this purpose, what drives you to live your best life every day?
1: Legacy, legacy, man. So the biggest thing is, you know, we talked about my childhood, right? Growing up and not knowing if I was going to have 10 bucks to go on a field trip and having to call my uncles and see who would let me borrow it. Um, You know, when you think about death, let's just go real morbid for a second. We're dead, what will people say about us? What impact will we actually have on those that we love? And I don't just mean immediate family, my kids will probably be fine, right? Um, But what about my extended family? What about my community? What about the causes that I'm passionate about? Um, You know, What kind of impact will I have there? So when you think about what you wanna create, for me, it's all about legacy. It's all about being able to make an impact on these things that i'm concerned with that i care about and that is really the best thing that i think we can do with our time on earth is try to make it a better place try to help people leave a positive image a positive memory on the individual, the people you touch, the people you come across with, for them to say, man, that, that guy helped me do X, Y, Z, or he helped us do this, or "You know, he made whatever donation. But to leave a positive impact and create a legacy for yourself, for your family, I think that's really the biggest thing that we all can do. So legacy is really the biggest thing in making an impact.
0: Mm, that that makes a big impact on me. And this, this conversation has made a big impact. So I just want to thank you For that you're such a clear prolific speaker and thank you for sharing so much with our audience where can people find out more about you or get in touch
1: yeah absolutely so if anyone's interested in doing the 15-minute consultation on marketing um, I'll send you the link so they can uh, they can reschedule that Um, other than that if you want to learn more about multifamily investing I actually have a sample deal on our website it's another great way to understand the way we think about real estate multifamily and deals and what you may want to convey to a potential investor Or for passive investors, if you want to see what a sample deal looks like, so you can start to understand the questions you would want to ask or what kind of returns you should be expecting and things like that. It's a great resource for both groups. So you can check that out at casmancapital.com slash sample deal.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I'll leave everybody the way I always leave you guys. And that is you know, go out and live a life worth inspiring others. And you can do so today by applying some of the lessons that were shared in your own life, in your own business. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to InvestorMindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.